One of the most underreported stories on our nightly news programs is Christian persecution. According to the Open Doors organization, between October 2019 and September 2020, more than 340 million Christians were living in countries with high levels of persecution and discrimination because of their faith, while 309 million Christians were living in countries where they might suffer very high or extreme levels of persecution. That's one in eight worldwide, one in six in Africa, two out of five in Asia, and one in 12 in Latin America. Should these grim statistics lead us to despair? Do they predict a sad end to Christ's church? If you are looking for a silver lining to today's persecution, you will want to listen to Vicki Hitzkiss, Kent Edwards, and Nathan Norman as they discover the Apostle Paul's surprising perspective on persecution in his letter to the Church of Philippi. Welcome to Crosstalk, a Christian podcast whose goal is for us to encourage each other to not only increase our knowledge of the Bible, but to take the next step beyond information into transformation. Our goal is to bring the Bible to life, into all our lives. I'm Brian French. Today, Dr. Kent Edwards, Vicki Hitzkiss, and Nathan Norman continue their discussion through Philippians. If you have a Bible handy, turn to Philippians chapter 1, verses 12 to 30, as we join their discussion. It's heartbreaking to hear about Christians living under persecution, isn't it? Oh, it's terrible. To hear of people who are attacked, discriminated against simply because of their love for Christ, it's heartbreaking. The statistics gathered by Open Doors are stunning. They tell me in 2019 to 2020, almost 5,000 Christians were killed for their faith. Oh my goodness. 4,500 churches or Christian buildings were attacked. Over 4,000 Christians were unjustly arrested, detained, or imprisoned, and 1,700 Christians were abducted for faith-related reasons. Wow. Because we don't always see that in America doesn't mean it's not happening. On average, every day, 13 Christians are killed for their faith. Oh, man. 12 churches are attacked. 12 Christians are unjustly arrested, detained, or imprisoned and five Christians are abducted. It's discouraging to hear those numbers, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's shocking, yes. What do those numbers seem to imply about God and the future of his church? Well, on the face of it, it seems like how could the church hold up under that? Of course. A, who would sign up for it, and B, who's going to be left after it's done? <laughs> yeah, and it seems as if, almost as if God is powerless, right? That uh, what's wrong with God, that he can't defend his own church, that he allows this to happen. A persecution, the existence of persecution, uh, affects our perspective on the world and on our faith in significant ways. I think that's why the perspective of the Apostle Paul on persecutions in Philippians chapter 1 is so important. Nathan, can you give us, remind us of the context of this church's experience of persecution and, and Paul's experience in Acts 16? As we talked about a little bit last week, Paul and Silas were doing ministry and proclaiming the gospel in Philippi. 
And one of the things that was the tipping point is there was a slave girl who was following them around. They cast mm-hmm. out the demons that were allowing her to to like have some sort of supernatural sight or foreseeing or fortune telling. And they cast it out in the name of Jesus and she was fine. And this made her owners angry. This made the town angry. Uh, They were taken, they were beaten, they were thrown into stocks and essentially tortured all night long. And in the midst of that, while they're still oozing out their injuries and sitting in a place where if they twitched a muscle, it would have been excruciating. Paul and Silas began singing hymns to God. <laughs> wow, isn't that something? I, it's just unreal. Like, you know, I read that and it's like, oh man, I am such a complainer to God. <laughs> to God. <laughs> well, I'm a little uncomfortable, Lord. What? You must hate me. And here Paul and Silas are in absolute agony and they're singing hymns. And in the midst of that, uh, there is a mighty earthquake. The the doors to all of the cells are opened. The jailer comes in. He's going to kill himself because he thinks everyone's escaped. Paul and Silas stop him. No, we're still here. And they're, they're able to share the gospel with the jailer. And he he and his entire family accept Christ and are baptized that, that day. Hmm. So this whole episode in the city of Philippi is, um, the backdrop of it all is persecution. Before we jump into this particular passage in Philippians 1, let me back up and ask a critical question. Why is it that God's people have been and are constantly being persecuted. I have thoughts. Vicki, do you have thoughts? Yeah, I do. Because we have an enemy who is diabolical and who is mm-hmm. who exists to oppose God. Right. And he's even referred to as the little G God of this world. Hmm. So he has undue power and influence over the earth and over the systems uh, that we find ourselves in and over those, uh, not everyone, obviously, but over individuals who have power and control, the ones who have the, the power on this earth. And like Vicki said, the enemy of our soul is more mighty than us. Sure. So there's a satanic uh, spiritual influence in this world that uh, creates it. From a human perspective, why do people decide to pick on Christians? I mean... To be a Christian means that you care for people, um, you build into your community, you obey government. Why would they pick on Christians? Why, why would non-Christians pick on Christians? Yeah, why would, uh, why would people decide to persecute, of all members of society, why persecute Christians? Well, I, think, I think it goes back to the other answer. I think, I think they're led by Satan. I, I, think, I think that is the answer. I think we tend to not like what we don't understand, what we don't agree with. I think sex too. <laughs> no, seriously though, but Christianity has from the get-go said that sex is between a man and a woman in marriage and it's a beautiful gift that God has given us, but it's only mm-hmm. to be enjoyed and participated in within the confines of that marital relationship and you come into a Greco-Roman society, which is just freewheeling. I mean, they have temple prostitutes and that's just something that you, you participate in and you come into that context and say, well, no, there's a God in heaven and he has created something and you're outside of the bounds of that. And it's not just sex, obviously, but that's a huge one. 
and can be a barrier for some people to say, wait, I have to give up the sexual relationship that I'm enjoying with this person, or I can't have this type of sexual relationship with this person, or I'm bound to one individual in marriage and I have to wait till marriage. <laughs> sure. Um, but it's also the other ethical issues that, that come along with it. We, we often say, Hey, it's wrong to take advantage of individuals. It's, it's wrong to misrepresent yourself to your clients. And when we call people out on that, that's, that's difficult. That's hard. Yeah. One of the basic commands that God gives his people is that we are to be holy as he is holy, right? Mm -hmm. So as a result, when Christians live distinctively holy lives, their lives do not match, do not echo that of their, of their neighbors, of their peers. And the difference that people see between how they as non-Christians live versus how Christians live, I think when they see a holy life, they feel uncomfortable. Right. Because the holiness of the Christian makes their sin more obvious. Right. I don't know if this is true or not, but I've heard this story a number of times that Billy Graham was out golfing with two individuals who were like senators. Mm -hmm. And they were not talking about anything spiritual. They're just hanging out and they're talking about their golf game. They're talking about the weather. And then halfway through the course, one of the senators just gets so angry. That's ah, it. And throws his golf clubs down and then storms off the green. And they're looking around like, what's going on? Well, it turns out, according to this story, that he was having an affair and just being in the presence of Billy Graham was convicting <laughs> enough that he knew what he was doing was wrong and he got angry about it. So if you're a Christian and people are against you, they hate you, they say unkind and untrue things about you because you are just living a holy life, that can be discouraging. You say, you know, they should be throwing a parade for me and instead they're attacking me. But Paul doesn't look negatively at persecution. What's fascinating in this chapter is that he sees persecution as a spiritual opportunity. In fact, one of the things, opportunities it gives us, is it gives us the opportunity to spread the gospel more effectively. He says that in verses 12 to 14. He says, now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. And as a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. And because of my chains, most of my brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. Huh. So what has happened to him? Just remind us. Oh, he's been arrested. Yeah. He's been locked up in chains. Right. So he's undergoing persecution because uh, he has been a minister of the gospel. So he preaches Christ and him crucified and he gets locked up and he says, don't worry, this is not going backwards. This is not a defeat. This is actually progress because this gives me an opportunity to spread the gospel more effectively. What does he mean by that? What is he saying in these verses here? You have more opportunities to speak to different people, right? You now have access to the jailer. You now have access to the magistrate. <laughs> you're, you're sharing the gospel with people you wouldn't have had the opportunity to share the gospel with otherwise. So um, it gives him a whole new venue uh, in order to present the gospel. In fact, in the verses that follow, he makes the astonishing statement in verse 16. I am put here in prison for the defense of the gospel. The important thing is that in every way Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. <laughs> Unbelievable. What a perspective. Yeah. 
What you meant for evil, God meant for good. You trying to shut me up and uh, stop my witness gives me an opportunity to witness to a whole new group of people who have never heard. It makes you wonder how smart Satan really is, right? <laughs> you know, like he he thinks he kills the Messiah. Oops, you know, the whole whole of humanity has access to forgiveness in him now, right? And then he uh, he encourages people to uh, persecute Christians. Stephen is killed, right? And oops, now the gospel spreads beyond Jerusalem. <laughs> like I'm going to shut Paul up, and I'm going to you know I'm going to throw him in jail. And oops, now the jailer is a Christian, right? Like, and he just keeps doing it. Like he doesn't have a different play. Yeah, it's like throwing water onto an oil fire, right? Right. Just I, that's all I have. <laughs> And what's fascinating is when the spotlight comes on Paul, when the spotlight uh, in, during persecution becomes on whoever's being persecuted, the difference between Paul's life and a Christian's life and the non-Christians becomes even more evident. And when that happens, people see Christ more clearly. That's what he says in verses 19 through 26. He says, yes, and I will continue. He, he, I just, his, his attitude is just so amazing. <laughs> the wanted, I just keep wanting to remind everybody, this was a guy that was killing Christians. Yes, and I will continue to rejoice. I eagerly expect and hope that Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. For if I am to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet, hmm. what shall I choose? I do not know. I am torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far. But it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith, so that through my being with you again, your boasting in Christ Jesus will abound on account of me. So for Paul, persecution brings opportunity. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Uh, he's only wanting to have fruitful labor for Christ in the midst of this. No, persecution um, not only gives us new opportunities to spread the gospel, but it helps people see Christ in us more clearly because it's in the midst of persecution that the moral difference between us and the unbeliever becomes even clearer. I'm reminded, uh, because I'm so romantic, as you know, uh -huh. I, don't know. Uh -huh. I keep trying to tell my students in Crosstalk that, and I don't know why no one believes me, but um, <laughs> uh, if you were ever to find yourself in a jewelry store looking for diamonds, when uh, you are looking for diamonds, how would they display those diamonds to you? Against black velvet. Yeah, they wouldn't hold them in their hand. They wouldn't put them on a glass counter. But they put them, as you said, Vicki, on black velvet. Why? Because of the contrast. Right. Because it's the stark contrast between the sparkling diamond and the black velvet that allows the clarity and the brilliance of the diamond to be seen and appreciated most clearly. I mean, that's, that's what we see in the Bible, that people who were persecuted were able to have a dramatic impact on their communities, on their cultures, because people could see their God more clearly. 
Can you think of some biblical examples of this? People whose influence grew because of their persecution. Uh, you got Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the book of Daniel. Oh. Mm, good one. You know, they're just standing up there while everyone is bowing down to this idol. Mm-hmm. Thrown into and? the fiery furnace. I mean, they're really, they're really shining. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, really. Even even the king was impressed by that. Right. Yeah. What did he say when he saw these men refuse to compromise? They would not sin. Right. They wouldn't worship the image of King Nebuchadnezzar. And so when he saw the moral difference between these men and the rest in his society, and that God rescued them. Uh, what was his conclusion at the end? Well, Nebuchadnezzar says, Praise be to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and rescued his servants. They trusted in him and defied the king's command and were willing to give up their lives rather than serve or worship any god except their own god. Therefore, I decree that the people of any nation or language who say anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be cut into pieces and their houses be turned into piles of rubble, for no <laughs> other god can save in this way. So this is the impact these three guys had on the nation of Babylon. Their witness in the face of persecution had a transforming effect on their culture. Oof. Daniel did the same thing in Daniel 6, didn't he? I was, think, I was thinking about Daniel earlier. Yeah. Boy, talk about brave. He, he wouldn't pray to the idol that King Darius put out. And so mm -hmm. talk about awful. So he threw him, King Darius threw Daniel into a den of lions. I don't know if you've ever been around lions. I've been in <laughs> Africa and they, wow. <laughs> oh my golly, gee, you have a respect for a lion. And yet they, when they took him out of the den, finally nothing happened. And I'll guarantee you, a, a lion would have eaten him, but he didn't. He didn't. And do you remember the decree that Darius issued when he saw the moral difference between Daniel and the others that had put him there? Remind me of that, um, Nathan. Yeah, Daniel 6, Darius said, he writes to all the nations and all the people, I issue a decree that in every part of my kingdom, people must fear and reverence the God of Daniel, for he is the living reverence God. the God of Daniel, wow. Right, for mm -hmm. he is the living God and endures forever. His kingdom will not be destroyed. His dominion will never end. He rescues and he saves. He performs signs and wonders in the heavens and on earth. He has rescued Daniel from the power of the lions. And yeah, and what's interesting is right after that in the text, uh, I, at least the way I interpret it, there's different interpretations, but it kind of reveals that this Darius, his name is also Cyrus, who was prophesied would be the king under who Israel would be allowed back into the promised land under his care. I, I think the text is connecting us to that. Like because of Daniel's faithfulness, this this pagan king sees this this act and says, okay, well, tell me tell me even more about your God now. And uh, and okay, I will I'll send you back under my care. Oh. And, and just to riff on Daniel, because I can't help myself. You remember in the New Testament when the Magi came to celebrate the arrival of the Messiah? Right. Yeah, of course. And they said, we've seen a star in the East. And you say, how in the world did wise men from Persia 
Look up in the sky and figure out something about the messianic arrival of Jesus. Here's my theory. I think it all stems back to Daniel. Why? Who, because he was in charge of the magicians. So he was a wise man. And I think one day, this man who had such enormous credibility that even the king would stand and give a pronouncement that everyone should worship the God of Daniel. I think one day in one of his staff meetings, he had extra time and he said, guys, let me fill you in on some biblical prophecy. And uh, he says, this is what's going to happen. And this is what God says will happen. And I think they were waiting for hundreds of years to see if Daniel's words would come true. And when they saw what Daniel had prophesied, they began that long journey all the way to Jerusalem, and they came and worshipped the Messiah. Wow. So you talk about the influence that persecuted people can have. I mean, this is, this is enormous. And can I, one final example? Sure. Can I mention Jesus? <laughs> you talk about how our persecution helps people see Christ more clearly. Paul says in Romans 5, very right, very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Christ is the ultimate victim of persecution. And as he died, his love for us became all the more evident. His character became clearer than ever. So much so, do you remember what the centurion said in Mark 15 when he saw Jesus finally die? He said, surely this man was the son of God. It was when the centurion saw Jesus, the victim of persecution. When he saw during that persecution, the character of Jesus shine so clearly, he could not help but to acknowledge the obvious. This man, Jesus, was the Son of God. But finally, Paul also sees persecution as a spiritual opportunity. Persecution gives us the ability to confirm our own salvation. In verses 27 to 30, he makes that clear. Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. And then, whether I come to see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in the one spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel, without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. This is a sign to them that they will be destroyed, but that you will be saved, hmm. and that by God. For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him. Since you are going through the same struggle you saw I had, and now hear that I still have. So when you stand firm, this will be a sign that you will be saved. Wow. Why is that? Why does faithfulness during persecution confirm a person's salvation? Well, it's a power encounter. It says, I, I fear God more than I fear you. Hmm. Yeah. And you can do the worst you can to me up to taking my life. And yet I think Christ is more powerful than you. And I don't believe that this life is all that there is. And I value God more than anything that you could tempt me with. There is nothing more precious 
This is a clear statement of our life's priorities, is it not? Do I love God enough? Do I love God more than mother, brother, sister, than any other relationship, anything else the world can give me? What did Jesus say if we said no? We cannot be his disciple. But if we do, that's confirmation that we are. As we record this podcast, there is a terrible war raging in Ukraine with the Russians and Ukrainians fighting each other. I heard of this one woman who was near the border who um, had two flags in her house. <laughs> when um, the Russians came and conquered, uh, she put out a Russian flag and welcomed the Russians into town. When the Ukrainians took the town, she put up a Ukrainian flag, <laughs> welcomed the Ukrainians into town. She said, all I want to do is survive. I don't care who I serve. Yeah, that's not the person that follows Christ. This is not a person who puts up a flag and hides a flag and changes allegiances so they get what they want. This is a person who has fallen in love with Jesus who recognizes that he is Lord over the whole world and, and that it's a privilege to be called his son or daughter. And they will follow him. It's, it's a truth of the Bible that persecution for our Christians is unpleasant, but it should never be unexpected. For those of us who do not suffer ongoing persecution every day and think we're immune. That's not true. The Bible tells us the persecution is the normal experience of the child of God. In the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus begins his Sermon on the Mount with the Beatitudes. He makes eight different statements, characteristics that uh, define the Christian, the disciple of Jesus Christ. In the, the eighth of those characteristics, he says, Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. If God is your Lord, if Jesus is your Savior, people will object. People will persecute. Jesus is very clear that if you are the kind of person, you live the kind of life that he is asking, persecution will always follow. So what is the silver lining of persecution? Well, persecution, as evil as it is, gives the followers of Christ the opportunity to spread the gospel more effectively, demonstrate the life of Christ more clearly, and confirm our salvation more concretely. Perhaps it goes without saying, but we should never view the attacks of the enemy as ever succeeding. No matter how Satan roars, no matter what the kingdom of evil does, the prince of darkness, no matter how the prince of darkness schemes, he will never succeed. 
One of my favorite verses is Matthew 16, 18. And there he says, I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. Amen and amen. If you're truly a believer, you will be persecuted. And Paul says we should view persecution as an opportunity. Why? Because our persecution encourages the spread of the gospel, because our courage during persecution helps others see Christ, and because our response to persecution can confirm our salvation. When persecution strikes, don't get discouraged. Think of it as an opportunity. I trust that today's discussion of God's Word has been helpful and served as an encouragement to not just be hearers of the Word, but doers. Together, let's bring God's Word to life, to our lives this week. The Crosstalk Podcast is a production of Crosstalk Global, equipping biblical communicators so every culture hears God's voice. To find out more about this educational nonprofit organization, please visit www.crosstalkglobal.org. You can also support this show by rating it on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you're enjoying it. Be sure to listen next Friday as we continue our discussion of the Book of Philippians. You won't want to miss it. <laughs>